So good to see you guys this morning. Uh, you know, I was reading a story this week, and uh, in this story, it was about this British conference on um, comparative religions, and, and they, were, they were discussing and debating if there was anything unique about the Christian faith when compared to the world's religions, and, and that the debate went on for quite a while, and, and it got kind of heated at moments, and, and until C.S. Lewis walks into the room. And he hears all this commotion in the hallway, and he's like, what's all the commotion about? And they're like, well, we're debating and trying to figure out if there's anything unique about the Christian faith when compared to other world religions. And he quickly said, well, he said, well that's easy. He says, it's grace. And they thought for a moment and had a little discussion, and they all agreed, yeah, it's, it's grace. Folks, it's grace. It's the one thing that separates Christianity from all the other world religions. It's, it's Jesus giving us what we don't deserve and not giving us what we do deserve. All other world religions are about what you must do to be seen right in God's eyes, but Christianity is about what God has done, about his grace that he has given us and extended to us. It's grace. Grace, when received, it can be just utterly liberating. But to extend grace to people, to flawed, sinful, broken people, well, it's just downright messy, right? It, because it's, it's counterintuitive, it, it's countercultural, and, and it can be, and it can seem like otherworldly, like it's just something that is like so different. And I would say to a large extent, it has become counter-Christian in our world today. Because when you ask people who identify as LGBTQ in our culture, grace is not what they feel. Grace is not what they get. What they get is condemnation and judgment. And so we have been called to go in Jesus' steps offering grace in place of grace already received. And so this series, we want to challenge one another to sit and to listen to God's word and let God's word inform our minds and our hearts. And here's what we know. This is like throwing a bowling ball into a lake. The ripples will go in both directions. We know that there will be some on one side that believe we've gone too far, and there'll be some on the other side that believe we haven't gone far enough. But I would ask you to sit for three weeks, to come every week to hear the entire series and to let God's word wash over you with the hope, as we say, that we could look, live, and love more like Jesus. And I would also ask you that you would kindly like, hold your grumbling till the end of this series. Let the entire series wash over you. And I know at some point throughout this series, and maybe today you're going to go, yeah, but what about them? And but what about, and but, and I'm going to ask you kindly to hold your butts until the end of the series. Yeah, I could have said it better, but I mean, it's like your objections, hold them till the end of the series. And if you still have them, if you find yourself angry, then don't grumble, don't walk away, but come and talk to me. Let's have a conversation, or better yet, Talk to your small group leader. 
And if you're not in a group, get in a group. This is where we talk and actually do life and extend grace to messy people, where we actually learn to live like Jesus with flawed, sinful, broken people, walking with flawed, sinful, broken people, trying to understand God's Word and live according to what Jesus calls us to do with the hope that lives and families and communities and the world would be changed as we follow Jesus. So pray with me as we dig into God's Word this morning, as I pray for you. Father in heaven, I, I lift everyone here up to you this morning, and I pray that you would give us grace to hear your words. I pray that you would give us a heart to absorb your words. I pray that the words of my mouth, that the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we all pray. Amen. Well, in today's text that you heard read a little earlier, we see that Jesus, we're told by John, comes from the Father full of grace and truth. In fact, he uses that word grace four times in these short verses. But he also uses this word truth twice, right? And I think what causes us some difficulty is we, we, we see these words and I don't think we fully understand what they mean or what is being said. I mean, we see these and we're, we kind of like look at these words and we, we sort of think as, as Christians that our job is to do both. We need to be both graceful and truthful, right? And we, need, we see these terms, I think, sometimes as opposites. Like we go forth balancing the truth with grace, with love, right? We tell the truth, but in love. And we see these sometimes as opposite terms. And so we say this and we go, well, there's four graces and two truths, so I need to be twice as graceful as I am truthful. (laughs) Or I need to be half as truthful as I am graceful. And I would say if we see these terms as opposites, then I think we're mistaken. And I'd like to help us all see that this morning, that these terms are not opposites, but they're actually complementary. And and I want to help us understand what John is saying, and more importantly, what Jesus is saying when he uses these terms of grace and truth. Because I don't believe we fully understand truth because we don't fully understand grace. And, And we don't understand grace because, quite frankly, we really don't understand truth at least how Jesus talks about it. So let's start by looking at truth. This word truth that we see in this text today is this Greek word aletheia, which means to conform to reality. It's actually real, and we see it. And there's an implication of dependability, that it's always there. It's something that's always existed. If it's true today, it's true tomorrow. That's truth. And we can see it. It's real. It's observable. In the Old Testament, there's a word for truth, and it's emet, and it carries similar meaning. It's firm, it's solid, it's valid, and it's enduring, meaning it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not like truth changes. Whatever was true 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, is still true, or still truth today. 
You following with me? That's the word that's being talked about here. Full of grace and truth. But when we think about truth and we substitute it with the word law or think about it as God's law, it doesn't hold up. And let me show you from Jesus' own words. Jesus says in, in John chapter 8, verses 32, he said, if you want to be my disciples and you'll do what I, what I tell you to do, it said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not that you will know the law and the law will set you free. If you've been around, if you've been a Christian for any time, you'll know that sounds wrong. It's not the law that sets us free. It's the gospel. It's Jesus that sets us free. The law is what holds us in chains and what binds us. But it's the truth that sets us free. So it doesn't hold up there. And it's Jesus' own words. And he goes even further in John 14 where he says, I am the way and the truth. He doesn't say, I am the law. No, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He personifies truth. He says he is truth. He's not the law. He's the truth. Same word. Same meaning. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He's dependable. He's the same. And you can see it in the way he lived his life. Consistent. Never changing. But then he also goes beyond that in the scene where he's standing before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate is, is questioning him. He says, so you're a king. And Jesus answers this way. He says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Not to the law, but to the truth. It's like Jesus is pointing somewhere else, right? He does so with his mouth, and he does so with his life. Jesus saying, I came to testify to the truth. And so, what is he talking about? Let's look at what grace means. In the New Testament, this term grace, haris, means to show kindness to someone with the implication of graciousness on the part of the one showing such kindness, which means that we show kindness to another person out of the graciousness of our hearts. Not because they deserve it. Not because they, they've cleaned themselves up. Not because of them, but because of what's been given to us. The New Testament writers speak of grace as in Christ. The grace that we receive in Christ. Getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we do deserve. We're called to give that same grace, the kindness to others, not because they merit it, but because it was done for us. And there's also this, this understanding in this word there in, in, in the Greek that it says to be done with joy. That there's a joy in being gracious to others. And that's the sense that the New Testament writers speak of giving grace. But what about in the Old Testament? When we look at grace in the Old Testament, it's a lot more nuanced than that. In fact, grace, if you want to understand the true Old Testament Hebrew understanding of the word grace, you need to understand all three of these words. Rahum, Rahonun, and Hesed, which is translated into English, merciful, gracious, and love. Merciful, gracious, and love. If you want to understand 
the Hebrew Old Testament understanding of the word grace. We must embody all three. Where do we see all three come together? We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in Exodus. This old creedal formula, when Moses was standing on Mount Sinai and God himself walks past him. And God says to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Another way to say that is the Lord, the Lord, a God who is gracious, a God who is grace. See, Jesus is pointing back to the Father. He said, the whole reason I came was to testify to the truth that God, who is never changing, is merciful, gracious, and loving, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, firm love. That's who the Father is. What people have been telling you about him is not true. But your God is merciful, gracious, and loving. But see, here's another thing that's being said there. You see that word faithfulness? That word faithfulness in the Hebrew language there is that word emet, which is the Hebrew word for truth. Do you see what's being said? God the Father is full of grace and truth. And the truth is, he is gracious, compassionate, and loving. That's what Jesus came to testify. That was the truth that Jesus was preaching. That's truth and grace. They're complementary because they both speak of the same person, God. Remember last week when we read John's gospel as we read today, remember he was testifying that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus was God. And here again, he's saying the same thing. He comes from the Father, but he himself is full of grace and truth. The same thing God said to Moses on Mount Sinai. John is saying of Jesus, not just from the Father, he is God himself. Full of grace and truth. The word truth cannot mean grace or cannot mean the law. But it's complementary, describing the character of God. One more nail in that coffin is this word law. It's right there in the text. John is contrasting both of those. He's not contrasting law or truth and grace. He's contrasting truth and grace against the law. He said, because the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see the difference? I love what New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says. He says this, the law given by Moses points in the right direction, but like Moses himself, it doesn't take you to the promised land. For that, you need grace and truth that come through Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. See, when we insist on talking about the truth, we're pointing in the wrong direction because the law Moses, the prophets, John the Baptist, the Apostle John, and all of his disciples are all pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is pointing to the Father. And all the Pharisees are pointing to Moses. 
saying, we follow Moses. We don't know who this guy is. And so when we stand up and we say, but we must speak the truth, we're pointing to Moses, not to Jesus. Because Jesus came with grace and truth to testify to the love of the Father, the love that he has for everyone, which is why he sent his son into the world, to die for everyone. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you see what John is saying to us this morning? If we're to walk like Jesus, if we're to be more and more like Jesus, we need to be pointing to Jesus. But when we point to, the, to Moses, it's like we really don't know him, do we? And our hope is that we would come to know him better so that we could follow him in his steps, so that we can make a difference in the world around us. But the truth is, folks, that's not the message we've been sending as a church and as Christians. We've been sending the exact opposite message. You've got to clean yourself up. You've got to recognize that this is against God's will, and you have to do all this when God didn't ask that of us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He tells us to go forth preaching truth and grace. Andrew Marin is, is a psychologist and a young man who lived in Chicago, in Boystown, and developed friendships with, with many of those people in the LGBTQ community here in Chicago. And he, he began just asking questions and trying to understand their life and who they were and understand how they felt and what, how the church had harmed them. And, and what he came to find out was something that just surprised him. And so he, he undertook and tried to find a study that maybe psychologists or, or, or researchers had done this before, and nobody had. And so he undertook a research study to ask some questions of this community to find out things about their, their backgrounds, specifically about their faith background. And, and he found something out as he asked them questions that that's, why he, that's what generated his study, was finding out that a vast majority of people who identify as LGBTQ grew up in a faith system. In fact, what he found out was 86% of people who identify as LGBTQ from the ages of 0 to 18 lived in a household that had a faith system. Now, what's fascinating about that? 75% of Americans identify as having a faith system between the ages of 0 and 18. Isn't that, like, a bit surprising? But here's the sad news. 54% of the people who identify as LGBTQ left their faith community after the age of 18. When they had a choice to leave, they left. Why? Condemnation and judgment. Condemnation and judgment. That's what you hear over and over and over again. But here's the beautiful news that he found out. 76% of those people are open to returning to their faith practices. Returning to the church. What an amazing opportunity we have to change the narrative to the truth that Jesus was testifying to. Right? And here's the other thing. 54% left. 
right? But 76% say they would come back. 54% left the faith community, which means 32% didn't. Which means people in the church that stayed in their faith community. But here's what we find. Oftentimes there's shame and, and, and they, they, they hide because they, they don't want to receive the judgment. Right? And, and this is one of the stories from one of these young men. He said, I was hiding my true self from everyone because I convinced myself they wouldn't accept me if I told them I'm gay. But knowing that God knows who I really am and loves me anyway, that always made me feel everything was okay in the moment. That's why I love just being myself in church. Tim Keller says it beautifully. He says this. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. is to be fully known and truly loved for who we are. And Jesus came to tell us that we are fully known and truly loved by him. And when we go and say otherwise, we're just bringing disaster everywhere we go because we're believing in a lie. You know, I was, I've been married 37 years this month. And 37 years ago, we said our vows to, together, and Terry said she loved me, and I believed her. And I said I loved her, and I meant it. But what I've come to understand over 37 years is the love I felt for her was just so tiny. Because at first, you say you love the other person, and you know there's just so much of yourself, so much of your own story that they don't know. And... They wouldn't be here at the altar if they knew that story. And they wouldn't be here if they really knew who I was, really. I mean, be honest. If you're married, there are things about yourself you've never shared with your spouse or with others because we're afraid that if we were our true self, that we would be rejected. But what's happened over 37 years is she knows me better than anybody. And she's still with me, which is crazy to me. <laughs> but it only makes me want to love her more, not because I have to, but because of what I've understood about the grace she's given me. I'm more known by her than anybody. But here, get this. There's still things about me she doesn't know. But I'm more fully known by her than anyone and truly loved by her. But here's the other thing I know. She loves me missing some things, not with full knowledge. But see, God loves me with full knowledge. God loves you with full knowledge. King David says in Psalm 139 that he knows everything there is to know about you, things you've forgotten about yourself. He, he knit you together. He made you in your mother's womb. Before you lived a day on this earth, all of your steps were ordained in his sight. Before you ever lived. And, and David says, that is just too marvelous for me to fathom. 
And he goes on to say this. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. I think about all that, and I think about who I am, and I think about that God still came, and he, he created me, knowing how I would reject him, how I would talk about him, how I would reject others, how I would judge others, how I would do all the things he didn't want me to do, but yet he created me anyway. And David says, when I awake, he's still with me. I can't believe he's still with me. And when we read in the text that he came in his fullness to give grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, it's this endless wave of grace. It's the endless waves of the ocean just pouring grace over me every day. Every day I live in new grace, in place of grace already received. So that I would not forget the love that God has for me, knowing me fully. He died for me. So that I wouldn't have to die that death. He did that for me. And then he calls me to go and do that for others. And when I say, well, I would never do that, and I wouldn't go to this wedding, and I, I would never associate, it's like, really? Tony, really? Are you not so grateful that he didn't say that about you? Right? Because it wasn't like God stood at a distance and waved a magic wand and said, clean, I pay for all your sins. No, remember at the beginning of this text, it says the word became flesh. The word actually came into this world. The message says he came in in flesh and blood and actually moved into my neighborhood. Moved in next door to me. He came so much further than he's ever asking any of us to go. He didn't stand at a distance and say, well, I'm never stepping foot on that third rock from the sun because that place is just disaster. No, he said, I need to go there. And I will go there. Because what they don't get is that God loves them. And he sent his son to prove it. And then he calls you and I to go forth in that truth and that grace, extending that to everyone we meet, especially those in the LGBTQ community. For when we do, we're pointing in the right direction. We're pointing to Jesus. And what we want more than anything, I believe what we want more than anything is for people to know that they are truly loved, fully known. And we have that opportunity to extend that love and grace to them to everyone, because that's what God did for us. I want to encourage you guys to sit under that truth this week. Pull open God's Word and read it for yourself. And, and pray to God this week that He would allow this Word to go from your head to your heart. And sit under His truth this week and come back next week, because we're not finished. There's more to be said. This is a beginning. But our prayer is it's a step in the right direction. It's a step in Jesus' footprints. We can't walk in his shoes, but we can walk in his steps. Offering both grace and truth. Pointing to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you pray with me?
Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, for the truth we find in him, for the love that is in him, the love that people who were called sinners and and, and the worst sort of people saw that love in his eyes, saw the acceptance of God in his eyes. Father, we confess to you this morning that that is not what people have seen in our eyes. I pray that you would continue to just pump that word down into our hearts. Give us another measure of grace, that we can go forward in that grace, extending it to everyone we meet. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.